Find 1 Peter 1, New Testament living for modern times. Of course, next week we will not meet on Wednesday because we will have our Christmas Eve service. Probably we should add to this all of those traveling from us and to us. Those traveling. So, uh, just keep that in mind next week on the 22nd we won't be meeting because we'll be meeting the 24th Christmas Eve service at 9pm does it blow y'all's minds how quickly Christmas has come around this year where has 2021 gone it just blows my mind New Testament living for modern times 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You know, oftentimes at the end of a year and as a new year is about to begin, I like to focus on some of the text in the Bible that remind us of what our Christian life is to be about. And uh, I like to key in on some of what our responsibilities are and some things that we need to be mindful of in our lives and maybe things in our lives that we need a gut check on from time to time and we just kind of need to see how we're doing. Um, and you know, many people at a time of year like this, they're already thinking about a new year and how they're going to maybe do some things differently, make a fresh start. Maybe there's some habits of this year that you don't want to do again in 2022. And you know, yearly transitions are also a time to forget about some things, right? Like Paul said in Philippians 3, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And so I want, us, I want us to focus in on some of the things in the Scripture that we know God wants for us. Some things that beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know these things are the will of God. You know, some, some things we struggle over with the will of God, right? Some of those gray issues. Other things are in plain black and white written in the Word. And we're going to see the plain black and white issues tonight. We know there's a lot of things that shape an individual, right? Your upbringing, your family, your education, uh, your work experience, even trials that you've gone through. A lot of different things shape our lives. But what Peter is pointing out here, there is one chief thing that ought to shape every believer's life. And that's our salvation in Christ. 
That event right there ought to shape everything about our lives. That ought to be dominant in our thinking. It ought to permanently reshape our passions, our priorities, our motivations, all of that. Now, if we were to go back and read chapter 1 of 1 Peter leading up to verse uh, 13, we would see that Peter has been talking about what has happened as a result of the grace of God. Uh, just think about some of the things he said in regards to our salvation. Uh, he said, beginning there in verse 3, God's given us a glorious salvation. He's given us a, one, a wonderful inheritance. And we're kept secure by his power. And we possess a salvation, uh, he says along about verse 11 or 12, that even the angels long to look into it. Think about that. Now, what's the demand of all of this? What should your and my response be? Well, just like we make a response at the beginning of our Christian journey when we were saved, we are to continue to make appropriate responses to Christ. You know, at the beginning of our walk with God, we confessed our faith, we took part in believer's baptism, we plugged into a church. Well, now we're to continue responses to God. And those responses are things that, that we make every day when we walk by faith. Paul says the just shall live by faith. And so there are some things that the New Testament points out that that's going to look like. What's it going to look like? Well, the New Testament tells us. Uh, Peter says, first of all here tonight, if you're taking notes, we are to cultivate Hope. Look at verse 13 again. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, fix your hope, or some translations may say, set your hope. Others say, hope to the end. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that from reading most English translations, you would get the idea that there are three imperatives here. Actually, there's one imperative, which is what drives the whole thought here. And that one imperative is actually what comes about halfway through the verse when he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the main thought here. That's in this verse, it's, it's an imperative. And it shows us something. The Christian life is to be a life of hope. Folks, we're not to be a people of despair. I want you to think about this for a moment. We know that living in a fallen world, that, that life is littered with trials. We go through trials. Peter said back in verse 6, uh, in this, that is, in this glorious salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. We're distressed by trials. That's often our testimony. A trial may come in the form of an illness. It may come in the loss of a loved one. It may 
come in the form of a job-related difficulty of some sort. It may come through loved ones or friends being opposed to your faith. Trials come in many forms. Life is dotted with trials. And the human response to trials could easily be what? Despair. You know, given the current economic crisis in our nation, along with what we're going through with COVID now for going on two years, you know, if, if you read much of how people are responding, suicides are way up. It's crazy. I talked to a church member today who is about to retire from his job. He's the head of a department. And he was telling me of the guy he was the guy he was training, the number two guy he was training to take his place when he retires. And this guy he was training came down with COVID. COVID didn't kill him. But he left a suicide note saying he couldn't mentally face what he might experience with COVID. And so he walks across the road from where he lives and he goes to the rental property of David and Brenda Fink and at the back of that rental property he takes a gun to himself and kills himself because he was afraid of what he might go through with COVID. He'd just been diagnosed and so he took his life. Folks, we are to hope to the end. We are, we are to fix our hope on the coming grace. It, it's a command. We're, we're commanded to not lose our hope. Now, how do we keep our hope amidst the daily grind of life? We're to remember the glorious salvation that we have. We're to remember that, that God is able to see us through trials and purify us like gold. Peter is saying here too, we're to remember our future. Peter says, fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is that just as the Christian life began with grace, it's going to end with grace. One day, God is going to fulfill all of his promises to us and we're going to receive exactly what he's promised. And that's the hope that drives us or should drive us even now. Dwight L. Moody said, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come before I preach another message. G. Campbell Morgan, the great British preacher, said, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking perhaps he may interrupt my work today and begin his own. I'm not looking for death, Campbell went on to say. I'm looking for Jesus. Well, one day, folks, Jesus is coming back to get his bride. And when he comes back, we're going to experience all the glorious things God has promised to us. And we're going to experience the consummation of our salvation. 
You know, the Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses, doesn't it? I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I was saved, that's when I was justified. That's when I was reconciled to the Holy God. I'm being saved, that's the process of sanctification. Growing in the, in the likeness of Christ. And one day I shall be saved. That's glorification. That's when, that's when God fulfills everything he said. And, and we finally see by sight what we can only now see by faith. That hope of what's waiting for us ought to continue to motivate us now and keep us on track. Now there's something that's going to help us to, to develop this kind of hope and to keep our mind on the grace to be revealed to us. I want you to notice, if, if, if fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ is the, is the main command here, you know, what's going to help us to do that? Well, look at the beginning of the verse. He says, therefore, gird your minds for action and keep sober in spirit. The Christian mind is to be prepared. He says, gird your minds for action. Now, I realize that is strange talk to you and me today. When's the last time... Uh, you've gone into Sunday school and your Sunday school teacher said, class, I want you to gird the loins of your mind. <laughs> I'd probably be getting a call next week saying, Pastor, you need to consider how some of those teachers might be talking in class. We just don't talk like that, do we? But it made perfect sense to Peter's audience. When he talks about girding your minds, in some translations, girding the loins of your minds, what did that refer to? It referred to, back then, remember, men and women both, they, they wore long robes, and they would have that tie around them. And obviously, if you were going to do something active, your, your feet might trip on some of that long robe. And so they would reach down and grab the back end of it, pull it forward through their legs, pull it up around their waist, tie that tie around. And I guess it kind of looked like a little diaper or something. <laughs> and they would free up their legs. And they were, they were ready to work in the fields. They, it'd be like us saying today, roll up your sleeves. They would gird up their loins. Prepare for action. Well, Peter is saying as believers, we need to gird up our minds. Prepare our minds. Our minds aren't to be wasted. You know, there used to be a commercial on, what, back in the 80s? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And that's how a Christian ought to feel. That it would be a shame to waste our minds. We are to prepare our minds. We ought to be studying the scripture and knowing the great doctrines of our faith. And by the way, we're going to get back to that on Sunday mornings. You know, we took a pause when, when the variants came up again and so many people kind of went back home. And then we got back together and then there were holidays and different things happening. We're going to get back to... We've still got four or five more things to do in our doctrinal study on Sunday morning. We need to know the great doctrines of our faith. We need to ponder our salvation 
and grapple with everything God's done. We need to understand God's Word. As Peter will even say in chapter 3, we need to be prepared to give a defense of our faith when people ask us, why do you believe what you believe? We need to have our minds prepared to be able to answer that. So we need to be students of the Word, students of doctrine and theology. That's not something to run from or be scared of. We need to memorize Scripture too, don't we? Have you done that lately? As we prepare our minds for action, what Peter is saying here, that will help our hope to increase. Because we will come to understand better what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. We'll grow in our relationship with God. We'll fall more in love with Christ. And so as we prepare our minds for action, that will help us in this area of hope. You know, somebody said to me a while back, I'm pretty sure it was Gary Klein while he was still with us. The more people, more friends and family members that he witnessed dying, he said, you know what? Heaven is just getting sweeter and sweeter to me all the time because I'm getting more on that side than on this side. We're to love God not just with our soul, but with our mind. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, body, strength, and mind. So as we're getting ready to complete a year and get going to 2022, maybe there's some decisions you want to make about preparing your mind better in 2022. Some of you may want to commit to 2022 is going to be the year that you're going to finally read through the Bible and, and you're going to study it as you read through it. <clears throat> A second thing Peter says that we're to, to do here, we're to keep holiness unstained. We're to keep holiness unstained. He says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. We're to ponder the great things God has done for us, but folks, we're also to live them out. That's the essence of discipleship, isn't it? Not just hearing thinking about, but, but doing what we read about in God's Word. It's hearing and doing. John says in 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. God's plan is that by the power and presence of his Spirit, he takes his Word and he conforms us more and more to the image of Christ. That's God's plan. That's what discipleship should look like. God's Spirit is taking God's Word as you study it 
And he's using that time to shape and mold you more and more like Christ. And, and as, you, as you know it, he's helping you to put it into practice, to apply it. Jesus said in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, Father, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. You and I are to be holy. We're to be sanctified. I've told you before that these are areas the devil messes up people's thinking. You know, before we're saved, he tries to convince people that if they work, 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 work their fingers to the bone enough, they might be saved one day. When people wise up that salvation isn't by works, it's through grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, then the devil tries to convince some people, aha, now that you're saved by grace, you can just sit back and don't do anything. Folks, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, to be holy and to do good works. In Ephesians 2, right after that passage where Paul talks about being saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. He goes on in the very next verse to say, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Folks, we're not just to be thinking of salvation in the past tense. I was justified back then. I mean, that's the key. But am I being saved? Am I being sanctified? You know, the world ought to be able to look at your my life and see the handiwork of God. They ought to see Christ working in us. And they ought to see us bearing fruit. They ought to see the difference that Christ is making in us. Because He changes our thinking, but He also changes our conduct. He changes everything about us. Now, He's going to do that in a twofold kind of way that Peter describes here. This change and making us holy and commanding us to be holy and helping us. Peter says as part of that process, we're going we're gonna to have to take off and put on, right? We're going to have to put aside the old. Verse 14, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. This verse is basically saying that before we came to know God in a personal way, we were stupid. We were ignorant. And the way we lived proved it, that we were ignorant of God and God's ways. We lived in the lust of the flesh. We lived for the world, for the self. We were short-sighted. And this whole thing of laying up treasures on earth, it's, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Living to please self and the world is stupid. But he says, now we're obedient children, so we're not to do what we used to do. Romans 8 reminds us that to be carnally minded is dead. It's bondage. And Romans 8 goes on to say, though, that to be spiritually minded is peace. And so we're to put off the old. 
And then in verses 15 and 16, he's talking about putting on the new. But he says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves and also all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's saying there that as we put on the new and, and we're fixing our hope on him and renewing our minds and putting off the old, that... Uh, A family likeness is being seen in us. The family likeness, like father, like son. You know, we pass on certain things to our kids, don't we? Some of your kids have long, skinny noses, crooked noses, because you, one, mom or dad's got a long, skinny, crooked nose, or maybe big feet, or short, or tall, or color of hairs. Or maybe whether your son's going to have hair at all. You know? As he ages. Genes, we pass that on. Family likeness. Well, Peter is saying there ought to be a family likeness between children and their heavenly father. We are to be holy because he is holy. When, when Isaiah caught that vision of God in the temple, what was it that the seraphim were, were flying around saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One of the marks of sonship that we belong to God is that we're holy. 1 John chapter 1 says, this is the message we've heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In regard to holiness, there's to be a family likeness. Verse 15 points out too that God is, has called us to this. You've got a call on your life. A call from God. And that call from God is to be holy in all of your behavior. Doesn't matter if you're a truck driver, a nurse, an engineer, a teacher. Whatever you're calling, you've got a calling to be holy. And then Peter, you know, he uses, he, he uses here also in 1 Peter an image. I think it's probably one of his favorite images where he, where he talks in this chapter too in the next chapter as well about us being pilgrims. <laughs> He's reminding us to live this way because after all, we're just pilgrims. We're not home yet. We're just passing through. When it comes to this world, we're aliens. You knew there was something strange about people in church, right? We're aliens. <laughs> this world is not our permanent home. And so again, as we review, set your hope on Him. The things of this world can never be the source of your hope. The things of this world are passing away. 
You put your hope in something in this world, even a person in this world, even a loved one in this world. And guess what? That, that person can be dead and gone tomorrow. You know, the early Christians were persecuted beyond anything you and I today could ever even imagine. And yet, they were people of hope. Their prayer was Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. They had a hope. Change your focus tonight. Set your hope, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Make a commitment now that you're going to get to know him better. You're going to sharpen your mind. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 and following Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Study is too limited. That's the King James. Uh, Paul is really saying, Timothy, offer everything about yourself, mind included, yes, that you'll be an approved workman. Prepare yourself for this. And then finally, Again, by way of review, what we've seen, examine your life. What needs to go? What needs to go? What do you need to lay aside? What do you need to shed? And what do you need to make a part of your life in an ever-increasing way? Folks, as you think about ending the year and beginning the new year, don't live an unexamined life. None of us as believers should live an unexamined life. Amen? Okay. Any thoughts? Any questions? Thank you for upcoming sermons on doctrine. I want to thank you for last Sunday's message where you talked about marriage and beliefs. Okay. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. It's what, what he's saying here is um, as a born again Christian or, or a physician is a holy child, now he's saying live up to that yes. holiness that I called you to be. Yes. Which you are by the shed blood of the Lord, but live up to that holiness. This is what you are. Become what you already are by the grace of God. Right, yeah. right. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a question. I'm thinking um, on a person's deathbed, figure Old Testament, New Testament. If you're an Old Testament person on his deathbed, and that person might be thinking, um, you know, I thought I was eating a grasshopper, but I, I might have ate a cockroach or something, and I, I didn't have a guilt offering or a burnt offering or a sin offering. Is there a feeling on the deathbed of an Old Testament Christian of uneasiness? I mean, was all the, I'm, I'm reading Leviticus and all the well, different things they got to do, but I know that some of the, some of the uh, prophets say, predicted the Messiah was coming. Sure. Uh, 
I think you might be talking about an Old Testament person from whom you just described who wasn't really even saved. Uh, they had a knowledge of the law, but not a correct knowledge. We've, all, we've always been saved by the same way, right. through faith. Yeah. Uh, theologians will say their, their faith was proleptic, looking forward to that perfect sacrifice, whereas we look back on it back to it, what he did at Calvary. But it was just like Abraham before the law. He believed God. God credited unto him as righteousness. And so the person laying on their deathbed saying, maybe I ate a grass what, a cockroach instead yeah, of a grasshopper. Maybe I'm unclean and right. not going to make it to heaven. Yeah. Sounds to me like they're, they're still trusting in the law and they've not even understood what the Old Testament is saying. See, as a Christian, we know the slate is like clean by the blood of Jesus. Sure. All of it. But they they were trying to keep the all these different uh, uh, sacrifices for their sins, you know. Right. I just think they might have had a little less peace than a New Testament uh, believer. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm glad I'm in this. Their hopes before. certainly wasn't complete as, yeah. as ours is. No, the, those sacrifices, keep in mind, year after year was a reminder of their sins and a reminder of that perfect one coming. And as the writer of Hebrews points out, those covered their sins for yet another year but didn't once and for all take it away. It wasn't until Christ his sacrifice took away, not just covered sin, covered it, but also took it away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I fully answered your question, but again, the person you were given an analogy of sounds like they were still trusting in the deeds of the law and the deeds of the flesh and didn't even understand salvation from the Old Testament perspective of faith either. You know, Paul said in Romans 10, I believe it was, that uh, so many of the Jews like that missed it because they set aside the righteousness of God trying to establish their own righteousness. 